Can Russian mischief influence the American election? The candidates respond and experts chime in on whether Russians or others can change the results. And U.S. financial regulators toughen their stand on big banks' cybersecurity. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We start off with the question, can an outsider, whether the Russians or anyone else, tamper with the American presidential election? In Wednesday's heated presidential debate, Democrat Hillary Clinton accused the Russians of engaging in cyber attacks to influence the election, which she characterized as an unprecedented situation. We've never had a foreign government trying to interfere in our election. We have 17, 17 intelligence agencies, civilian and military, who have all concluded that these espionage attacks, these cyber attacks, come from the highest levels of the Kremlin, and they are designed to influence our election. I find that deeply disturbing. Republican candidate Donald Trump questioned whether the Russians launched the attacks that resulted in the leaking of internal Democratic emails and documents by WikiLeaks, some of which proved embarrassing to Clinton. When debate moderator Chris Wallace of Fox News asked Trump whether he would condemn any interference by Russia in American elections, even if he doesn't believe the American intelligence community that Russia was behind the attacks, the Republican candidate answered, By Russia or anybody else. You condemn their interference. Of course I condemn. Of course I can. I don't know Putin. I have no idea. I never met Putin. This is not my best friend. There are two issues here. One, can a foreign power or someone else influence the election by breaking into a political party's computers, steal documents, and arrange for their release, perhaps to shame a candidate? That's what seems to have happened in this campaign. Whether publication of those documents damaged Hillary Clinton remains an open question. But a more troubling matter is whether a hacker can alter votes by breaking into voting machines or other election IT systems. Experts generally agree that would be all but impossible. After all, some 9,000 state and local governments run their own voting systems, and the idea that an outsider can launch cyber threats against so many jurisdictions is unimaginable. Still, altering the results by just a few hundred votes in a handful of election districts could reverse an election. Think about it. George W. Bush beat Al Gore in 2000 by a mere 537 votes in Florida. If a hacker could have switched just 300 votes in the other direction, history would have been changed. Here's Joseph Lorenzo Hall. He's chief technologist at the advocacy group, the Center for Democracy and Technology, and spoke Wednesday at a roundtable on e-voting sponsored by the think tank, the Atlantic Council. Hacking the presidential election is, is probably the hardest thing to do in this election. I think you're much more likely to see your proverbial Tony Soprano hacking one county to ensure that a waste management bond was passed, right? I think that's where you're going to see sort of the first detectable, undeniable evidence in the U.S. of, of a vote hack. I don't think something that crosses that many states is as attractive. Even if a computerized voting system was hacked and ballots altered, election officials may never know about the breach. Again, Hall, followed by Jeremy Epstein. He's senior computer specialist at the not-for-profit research institute, SRI International. 
these systems aren't designed to keep the kind of evidence you'd want to detect those kinds of attacks. They're just not designed to be resistant against nation-state kinds of attacks. And even then, you know, if you were going to attack one of these machines, if it didn't work, you would make that fail to look like a garden variety computer error, like a, a glitch, like the proverbial blue screen of death, for example, which you see on Windows machines. If we see a market uptick in errors and, and strange kinds of things, that could be the only evidence we see of, of mischief, but we'll never know. So it's, 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 it's hard to, to really bound that kind of stuff. The machines are specifically designed so it doesn't say who you voted for Kim and who, who you voted for Joe and who to I voted privacy, for. Uh, right. To give you privacy. But because we can't do that, it's very hard to, to detect strange things. For this election, the likelihood that the Russians will tamper with the actual vote seems highly unlikely. But we probably will never know. Donald Trump faces his own cyber risks, though they deal with his business, not the political campaign. To explain, I'm joined by ISMG security and technology editor, Jeremy Kirk. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Eric. What kind of security risk is Trump facing? Security researcher based in the UK who started taking a look at this sort of web of websites around the Trump organization. The Trump organization is Donald Trump's main business arm, and he runs a, a variety of businesses like realty, golf, and hotel businesses. This researcher started looking at the domains where these websites are hosted to see what kind of configurations they're in. He found out that the email services that run on several of these domains are pretty insecure. They run outdated Microsoft software. He found that one of the servers is using IIS 6.0, which was released almost a decade ago. IIS was also part of Windows Server 2003, which by the year tells you how old that is. All of these things have a lot of security vulnerabilities in them. The fact that they were using old software doesn't portray a strong security stance. No way to patch these systems, right? Right. So Microsoft stopped supporting Windows Server 2003 last year. That means that they're not putting out any security updates, which means if there are any issues that are found by hackers, they're literally unfixable. How has the uh, Trump Organization responded? The Trump Organization acknowledged the researchers' findings, and what it said was that they used the best-in-class firewall and anti-vulnerability technology with constant 24-7 monitoring. And it went on to say that our infrastructure is vast and leverages multiple platforms which are consistently monitored and upgraded using current cybersecurity best practices. If you look at what the researcher discovered, you would find that that's not really true. And most security researchers would tell you that running outdated software is very dangerous and it doesn't matter what kind of firewall you're using or other security technologies. Those technologies are limited in the sense that they're not going to be able to stop, for instance, like a zero-day vulnerability if the attackers craft a, a very clever one. Broadly, it looks like the Trump Organization would be vulnerable to certain kinds of attacks if somebody wanted to execute one. I understand U.S. federal authorities are getting involved. That's right. Kevin Beaumont, who's the researcher who found these issues, later tweeted that he started getting a lot of feedback from Trump supporters on Twitter. Uh, they were uh, kind of hostile feedback. 
it was his belief that the FBI and the Secret Service had been contacted. Now, it's unclear whether these people felt like he was a hacker. He is a legitimate security researcher. And Beaumont also went to an extent to sort of explain how he found out this stuff. And it was merely through looking at the websites. If you go to a website, you can look in most browsers have a view that allow you to see what type of server is behind a particular domain. He used a feature in Chrome that displays that information. And then he also just did some open source source research, looking at domain names, system records, and other things that are out there to come to this conclusion that the Trump organization was running a package of outdated software. And just another example of companies not doing what should be done with security. Very much so. Upgrading software is a big ordeal. Microsoft is pretty good about giving companies and organizations very long lead times on when they're going to release new types of software so companies can budget for it and upgrade it. But some companies just don't bother, and it just kind of depends on how close they are to IT and technology and, and how they sort of comprehend the risks that are out there. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you very much, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. U.S. federal banking regulators are proposing new tough standards designed to bolster cybersecurity at the nation's largest financial institutions. To discuss these proposed rules, I'm pleased once again to welcome my ISMG colleague and Bank Info Security Executive Editor, Tracy Kitten. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Eric. Before we get into the details of the proposal, why did the regulators, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the Federal Reserve Board, and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency decide now to toughen the regulations? I think it's been in the wake of some of the recent cyber attacks that we've seen against the financial services industry. Most recently, we've seen the attacks involving the heist of SWIFT payments. And then if you go back to 2014, you'll remember that we had the hack that compromised account data linked to millions of customers to Morgan Chase. This is just something that's probably in the wings for a while. What changes do the regulators seek in these new rules and how do they differ from existing regulations? They seek to mandate things. We've seen guidance in the past. A lot of this shouldn't really come as a surprise to some of the the largest banking institutions. But now it looks like the regulators are seeking to mandate things such as the appointment of board members who have cybersecurity expertise, as well as more stringent cybersecurity requirements for third-party service providers and non-bank financial companies like payment processors. The proposal also notes that banks should bounce back from an attack such as a DDoS attack within two hours. How reasonable is that request? This point in the game, it's pretty reasonable. If you go back and think to 2012, when a lot of the, the largest U.S. banks were getting hit with DDoS attacks that we, we think were linked to Iran, some of those online banking sites were taken down for a day, maybe more. But the banks have really bounced back, and that's not even possible now. Of course, a lot of it depends on how big the DDoS attack is. When would these new regulations go into effect? The regulators right now are just putting out feelers for comments. They're putting this proposal out in front of the industry to take comments until January 17th. From there, they're going to, of course, you know, share the comments back and forth, as well as share the comments with the rest of the regulatory agencies in the FFIC. They haven't said when this could become uh, a requirement, when these standards could be mandated, but I would suspect that it's going to be for quite some time. The federal regulators' announcement comes just weeks after the New York Department of Financial Services announced plans for new cybersecurity regulation. Many banks operate in New York State. Is the sector being overregulated, at least when it comes to cybersecurity? 
What these three federal agencies are proposing isn't really anything new. So federal banking regulators for the last several years have been issuing guidance to help banking institutions design their cybersecurity resilience program. So I don't think that there's anything new here. What is new is that they are proposing that these requirements be mandated. When you look at what's been proposed by the New York Department of Financial Services, there have been some criticisms there that that new cybersecurity regulation is too prescriptive. And so it could force banks to fall into a checkbox compliance stance, it's difficult to compare the two. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.